Hey, film fans, I'm Jackie Lynn here with Dave Dermist for the next episode of our new show, Dollar Theater. By now, you may know that we like the bad movies, but we thought it was time to start talking about some good movies, too. Speaking of, we watched Con Air this week, starring Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, and a great handful of 90 stars and familiar faces. It has a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.9 on IMDb, and 4 out of 5 on Google. Where does this movie fall for us? We'll get started shortly and let you know what we think. You may remember our guest, Glenn Thompson. He works in a lot of artistic areas in the theater, film, and television industry, and he's a documentary filmmaker. Glenn, I hazard to say you may be an expert on this film because <laughs> it sounds like you're well into the double digits for viewing, <laughs> thanks to your dad. That's awesome. And I loved hearing this. Con Air actually inspired you to want to become an actor and filmmaker when you were a kid. And you made that happen. And that's awesome. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, thank well, you. <laughs> you're welcome. And welcome to the show. Let's, uh, let's discuss your possibly favorite Nick Cage film. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's do it. I'm excited. All right. Dave, let's, let's kick this off. Con Air, what do you think? So if you travel, if we traveled back in time and we went to my sixth grade English class and the project for that class was write the perfect movie, sixth grade me would probably think about it for a little bit. And I would think I would say, OK, I need to have Nick Cage in this movie, but give him a mullet and a southern accent. OK, check. <laughs> This movie also needs to be filmed in a prison. But no, 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 that's not enough. It needs to be a flying prison. Yes. Okay, good. I like it. Uh, we're going to add Steve Buscemi in this movie, but as a variant of Hannibal Lecter. Cool. Check. Um, I want, I want, to, uh, who's going to be my bad guy? John Malkovich. Yes, I want John Malkovich in this movie. Um, I want him in one scene to hold somebody at gunpoint. No, no, that's not good enough. I want him to hold a stuffed animal at gunpoint in one scene. Okay, cool. <laughs> Got it. This is going well. I'm going to get an A. Um, what else? We need a character named Swamp Thing. Yes. Cool. I, th I, think we got, I think we got the perfect movie. All of these elements just... This movie's so much fun. I watched it. <laughs> uh, Glenn, I would say you've seen this more times than I have, but I'm probably in the double digits along with you. Um, wow. it's, it's been a while but was, was certainly glad to uh, jump back on it. Yeah, it's probably been about four or five years, but it, yeah, definitely in the double digits. Um, saw it uh, when it came out in 97. Just excellent. Nick Cage in, it, in his prime, and we'll, we'll get to him later. But yeah, love this movie. Love everything about it. Uh, Glenn, what, what works about it so well for you? Uh, well, I, th I think uh, first I should probably clarify the... the... The amount of times I've seen this movie largely comes down to, like Jackie mentioned, my father and I would just watch action movies together. But this is like, uh, you know, for me, this movie is the third part of the, the trifecta of Nick Cage in the 90s. You've got, you know, Face Off, The Rock, and Con Air. And those three together are just some of the most perfectly cheesy action movie, <laughs> you know, that have ever been made. And, and for me, it's like, when I watch them, I am a kid again, just all the explosions, all the terrible fights, all the horrible dialogue. 
that you can't help but want to watch <laughs> again and again and again. Um, and I think what works for me is this movie never stops being what it wants to be. Like it, it's not, it is not trying to win Academy Awards, although it did get nominated for a couple. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's just exciting. You put it on and, and, and shut your brain off. It is okay to have fun and let Nick Cage and a mullet and a ripped tank top guide you for the next <laughs> 90 minutes of your life. <laughs> You know, I think it's great. Yeah, so 97, big year for action movies. The three of us actually covered one of the bottom tier ones a couple months ago in, in Speed 2. Yeah. But in addition to that, this year, The Fifth Element came out, Face Off, and the second part of Nicolas Cage's trilogy there. Um, also, The Jackal with Bruce Willis was a good one, Air Force One. So a lot of great action movies that year. But this is probably in the top tier. So I'm glad to be talking about it. Um yeah, definitely one of my favorites from 97. Probably one of my favorite action movies of all time. Jackie, where do you land on it? I really enjoyed this movie. And the the unique thing about it is they, they don't make movies like this anymore. No. This they, they would not even entertain making a movie like this anymore. And I don't think with cell phones and cameras and technology that it really would have been viable at this point of time mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, I was trying to figure out who came up with this idea. Um, apparently, Dave did. In so I really, <laughs> really like that. But apparently, it was also inspired by a newspaper article about a plane that transports convicts. <laughs> so I guess this is somewhat realistic. I can't say it's absolutely ridiculous. But then again, it is. And that's why it lands in the so bad that it's good category. I love how they don't take things too seriously in this film, but the actors really own their roles. You know, you've got John Cusack running around on the ground doing his damnedest to get things under control. You've got Nick Cage with these rippling muscles, his mullet, and some version of a southern accent. And <laughs> oof. John Malkovich is running the show as a madman. And these actors clearly had fun making this movie. It pours off the screen. It's a really good off-the-wall film. I recommend it. It's a good time. So let's talk about Nick Cage. Because 1995, he wins the Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. So he can basically do whatever he wants at that point. So we respond to that by making this trilogy that we've already talked about. The Rock, Con Air, Face Off. This would be the equivalent of now Matthew McConaughey wins the Oscar in 2014 for Dallas Buyers Club. And then he follows that up with an MCU film, uh, Fast and the Furious movie. And then he does a Michael Bay Netflix joint. Just really, really cool. And he just basically after leaving Las Vegas, he started doing, for better or worse, what, whatever he wanted to do. And it started off good. You know, there were some hits after these, but, and then definitely some misses. But I really, I really thought this, this might have been his, his best movie ever. Uh, Glenn, what do you, where do you land on Cage with this one? Um, yeah, I, it is right there for me. And there, and, and, and I actually would point almost to a secondary part of that, which is Jerry Bruckheimer produ producing it. Yep. He was huge in the 80s and 90s and of course he still is doing stuff today like he's done just he has produced crazy amounts of stuff but like 
Nick Cage was the draw and Jerry Bruckheimer was kind of going, oh yeah, whatever you want, just make it all explode. It's totally fine <laughs> with me. Um, and I think when you start to kind of see Cage's run in the 90s, right? Like he did those ones we've talked about. He did um, City of Angels, which was kind of, a, eh, you know, it was yeah. okay. But, you know, he did like um, Gone in 60 Seconds um, as soon as the two, as two, 2000 hit. Um, Family Man, right? Like Wind Talkers. Like these movies that like, maybe today aren't regarded very highly but like at the time if nick cage was in it everybody was seeing it and i think con air was really the after leaving las vegas was kind of the one of the first ones of that run where you were like he was just going 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 and always in it and everyone was seeing it so right and you got a lot of a lot of people at different points in their careers here we got um, a lot of people from the, from the Tarantino verse who were kind of like rising up the ranks. We had Ving Rhames in this, who was Marcellus Wallace, Steve Buscemi, uh, who was in a lot of his films. And then you have John Cusack, who was a big 80s star, didn't really have like a huge 90s. He kind of rose back up the ranks again in the 2000s. But between this and Gross Point Blank, those are my two favorite Cusacks from the, <laughs> from the 90s. And just a lot of really, a lot of good actors in the supporting cast here. Uh, who, who stands out for you outside of Cage, Shaggy? Outside of Cage, I, you know, I'm going to throw it over to John Cusack. Um, okay. I found out in my research that this role was literally written for him. He was friends with the screenwriter, Scott Rosenberg. That's really nice. Scott must have known him pretty well to customize this role for him. Because I think he does a great job of pulling genuinely stressed out cop. I don't question him for a minute and it makes sense that it was a custom role. Well, they yeah. had just done either just done or were just going to do high fidelity. Oh, that would have been a little bit later, like two thousand years yeah, later. Was, right. Yep. Like, and that was another one that he wrote that John Cusack starred in. And you can tell that like, I mean, John Cusack has a type, right? Like, and he plays it perfectly in this movie. He plays the kind of, good looking leading man clean cut but like you know high fidelity is one of those where you're like it's a little bit out of character for him and this one whereas this one is so true to form for him and i think the like you said the writer a really knew him but also just <laughs> he probably was making up a little bit for because because john cusick didn't like this movie he no he hated this movie you know so you gotta like someone quite a bit to keep working with them if you pan a movie as much as john cusick panned this right. movie. And it's funny you mention that because he it's it step on the internet research a little bit, but he is said to not even want to talk about this movie in interviews. Um, same with Malkovich. Malkovich um, was said to be really angry on set because they constantly were changing the script. And that kind of comes out in his performance a little bit, maybe for the better, because he seems really pissed off in certain scenes. Um, uh, one that comes to mind distinctly is where he kills the guy who betrayed them. And the guy says, sigh. Anara, and it, he just—you <laughs> can see it is performing. He looks so pissed off. His eyes scene. are dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just dead. You just you made tell, me say that. So, someone went up. Yeah, someone went up to him. Was like, just, just, just say the line. Are you, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> so a lot. You hear a lot of the things on set, and you hear Danny Trejo said in an interview that um, everything was a pissing contest. If one person spit, another person was trying to spit further. It was just. A lot of testosterone in this movie because I think I saw 
three women in this movie. I, I might be off by one or two, but if I am, it's it's not by a lot. Not a lot of women in this movie. There's a lot of a lot of testosterone uh, in this film. Seventy five million dollar budget grossed two hundred twenty five million dollars. Uh, Jackie, you said it, this wouldn't be made today. Not a chance. If this was made today, it would. We've seen this made today. Six Underground, Triple Frontier, um, Extraction. These are Netflix movies now. But this is a movie that got people to the theater 25 years ago. Just, uh, just lightning in a bottle for this one. It I is... feel old now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's. It, I think. It, I think you're right. I think lightning in a bottle. I also think, again, there was just this run of movies where you didn't really have to think about it. They were good because you showed up, you got your popcorn, you sat yeah. down, and they were entertaining as heck for the rest of the time you were in that theater, and you left, and you weren't going like, oh, I gotta go ponder this. No, you got it. Like, Con Air is not a difficult movie, and it shouldn't be. Right, and... We talked about this was pre-internet as well. Right. So 97, you weren't like, you weren't going to your computer and seeing everyone's hot takes on uh, Johnny 23, which is, you know, a character that definitely, definitely would not happen in 2021. But there would, there would be a canceled Johnny 20, there would be a canceled Danny Trejo campaign now if this movie came out. And the kind of movies that made me, that are recent that I thought of Godzilla vs. Kong or Mortal Kombat, where it just turn your brain off. But then you go to the internet and people are, are giving their hot takes. I was like, oh, can yeah. I just in, enjoy these things? I think you're hitting it. And I think of the collection of movies I remember having growing up. If I could tell you how many were Jerry Bruckheimer movies, it's a it's a lot. Like, I mean, this this was the kind of movie that was just being made. And and again, it there were quality, thoughtful thought-provoking movies coming out all through this period obviously we're not saying like the 90s were just all crappy movies like you know but like these high blockbuster action films were the were kind of the height of 90s cinema and you just don't see it anymore i mean even now how many times you go to hbo and the newest whatever is on hbo the same day it's in theaters right it's like look i would love to go to the theater but why am i going to spend 20 bucks if i can hit play and it's free and it's it wouldn't happen today. It just wouldn't be made today. So I agree. I I agree with both of you guys. And eighties and nineties movies culture just does not exist at the same level anymore. And I, mm -hmm. I so miss that. And I love the convenience of streaming and I, I love the movies that are coming out now, but we don't have these same ridiculous movies and that you get to turn your brain off as much and just have fun like you said with with a tub of popcorn at the movie theater and you don't think twice about it afterwards i think that stems from the the way we watch things now because we talked mm -hmm. how much discourse was there on spider-man no way home because so many people saw that in the theaters there was an experience together now most of us we watch things on i watch a lot of movies on my laptop by myself and I'm sure that's how a lot of people watch things. So there's not like that collective experience that a Con Air had where so many people saw it in the theaters 25 years ago. That's one thing I like about going to the movie theater is that it's it's an experience, especially with when you're with an audience. It, it just creates this unique feeling and experience that 
we don't get when we're streaming, when we're watching things at home or when we just press play. Right. Right. All right. So nice and philosophical, everybody. I really appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, why don't we take a quick break and we'll hop into favorite scenes. All right, we're back. So favorite scenes, uh, I first want to have written down here was the opening scene. This is where uh, Cameron Poe goes to jail for beating up three drunk idiots at a bar. It was just funny. The one guy um, whose name's Billy Joe. And <laughs> the, so it was actually played by Kevin Gage. Jackie, we talked about Wayne Grow from Heat last week on our, 20, our Miami Vice. So that was Wayne Grow from Heat, the guy who says, uh, Trisha says he's a regular. And he goes, yeah. I'm a regular hound dog. And then he throws money at Cage. And, you know, he winds up, these guys wind up fighting him, you know, just for extra effect. It's raining outside. He winds up just destroying these guys. And he does the thing where you you put your palm, put your palm up and you send some guy's nose into his brain. That's how he kills the guy. Oh, that's and, how it worked. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I think, I think I also, <laughs> also saw this in uh, The Last Boy Scout was another movie I thought of where somebody died this way. And then, um, I, I don't know, I, I didn't make a list for shittiest movie lawyers of all time, but I think John Deal from, from Miami Vice <laughs> is, is up there as Cameron Poe's lawyer telling him he was if he just pleads guilty, he's going to get one year. And then he does plead <laughs> guilty and, and he winds up getting uh, seven years. So, yeah, shitty legal representation. <laughs> Jackie, what would you think of the, the opening scene? I was kind of baffled by that, that initial kill. I know they tried to give a little background to it. Like, okay, so did you leave that guy behind? Are, are you not that person anymore? And then he walks, he's like, no, no. And he walks out in the parking lot and bam, you know, yeah. kills the guy with one shot to the nose and bam, he's gone. I liked the follow-up portion where he's surviving in jail. I'm glad that, that they, only did a short sequence uh, during the credits for that. Right. I was noting that I never thought about like a care package could help you um, forge relationships in jail. Um, <laughs> he's working out. He's learning foreign language. Um, he, the letters are showing the passage of time. Okay. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. <laughs> Glenn, what'd you think of the opening scene? Uh, I, I admit, um, it is probably one of my favorite opening montages in a movie because it's it's the equivalent of a cold open to a TV episode today. Sure. Right. You get what you need for the next however long this movie is going to go on. He was an army ranger and then he right. was let out and he goes home to his wife. And the night he goes home, he gets in a bar fight and kills a guy. And this absolutely absurd ruling about how he's a deadly weapon, which is false by the way that is not a thing <laughs> i was wondering you are never okay, right there is i don't care if you're a black belt in karate or an army ranger you're not registered as a deadly weapon the rules aren't different for you if you're not in the military <laughs> so stop it but so they do that and then he gets his time in prison and jackie like you said they give you the montage of like what he's like in prison and that's just the credits that's just the like first sure. 10 minutes and they're like mm -hmm. look here's everything you need he's a good guy who's screwed up, who's trying to do better. And now here's your movie about a bunch of crazy assholes on a plane. Good luck to you, because by the end, you're going to be going, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> and it's okay. Like, have fun. But I think 
it's great. I also think you get this sense of like the sweeping score and the the like you said, Jackie, him in the rain, you know, and, and, and with the fight, and you're just like, all right, he's the hero. We got it. <laughs> we understand he's Message the hero. Message received. <laughs> so. But you're right, and then all the friendships that you know, the showing the friendship and the and the the bad use of snowballs for a diabetic in prison. Like, <laughs> can, oh my can, gosh, can we think about that. this for just a second? Um, how he makes friends with the guy who's a diabetic and gives him hostess treats. Whatever, it's all good because the movie's happening now. So I I love it. And when I said to you, Jackie, I said, "Oh, this got me into film and television." That actually is true because I just think it's. It is not great dialogue. It is great storytelling. It is boom, 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 boom. Here's your movie. You know, so. Definitely. Uh, Jackie, what's what's the scene you have noted? I have to mention the airplane takeover. Obviously, that's not. like the, the ramp up of this crazy ride. And, you know, it starts with Dave Chappelle setting fire to the man next to him. Right. <laughs> How bonkers is that? He's smuggled some container of flammable fluid and a match and gags up this bag (laughs) too and then he initiates this hell breaking loose all over the plane and then he's like oh yeah oh he just spontaneously combusted (laughs) and they're like cold red cold red and meanwhile he's opening the gates and diamond dog is strangling a guard and everything is happening so fast in this scene, so much is happening at once. It was kind of a lot to take in, but I guess that's that's the chaos that they were trying to cut loose here. And uh, yeah, I'll let you guys elaborate some more on that scene. You, I mean, you nailed it. It's chaotic. You know what it is? It's the use of Steadicam. Today, that scene would be all handheld, shaky, yeah. all over the place. And I'd be getting sick trying to figure out what's oh going my on. Gosh, but because yes, the camera's steady, we're like, I see it. I got it. It's still a lot. It's still chaotic. But I'm able to compartmentalize. You can focus on it. What I'm seeing. Um, it's it's great. Uh, there's, um, you know, they capture the guard and, and Johnny's going to be, Johnny 23 is going to be Johnny 23. And, and uh Poe's like, I can't allow that. And Johnny's like, do you know who I am? And Poe just goes, ugly all day. And you're like, what? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> but that's it. You're like, it is that cast. I think it's great. Dave, please. Well, you had mentioned Chappelle, Jackie. Like, before he he lit this guy on fire, he he spouted, like, a few racist insults at him for being a Native American. Oh and we learned, we learned later in our, in our internet research that Chappelle improvised most of his lines. So that was, that was one thing that probably wouldn't happen in a 2021 film. Um, the scenes where we see Diamond Dog and Cyrus the Virus pull these metal, I guess, nails out of their, their hands, they stick in their hands. Oh, right. I, I question if that's, or do they have tetanus? I, I don't know that, you know, just, it's another, you got to shut your brain off there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just, just a great scene. And then, you know, we do get, you know, Cyrus, he does show that he has a conscience in this scene because it is in, in his dialogue with Johnny 23. Um, he gives his thoughts on rapists. Let me, let me quote him here. He, so he does have a code. He goes, I despise rapists for me. You're somewhere between a cockroach and that white stuff that accumulates at the corner of your mouth 
when you're really thirsty. So yeah, he did, he did all these bad things, but you know, he, he does have some morals. So I thought Malkovich's character did have some range here. Um, but yeah, we said that character would not happen today. If it was Johnny 23 and now be, he robbed 23 banks right. or <laughs> 23 houses. Just, yeah. I, I, even in 97, I'm, I'm kind of uh, perplexed that this character was able to be, I want to circle back to uh, the letters between Cameron and his daughter. Mm-hmm. I just, sure. Those were just, I thought that was really funny. And Jackie, I want to get your perspective on this because, because you have a daughter. Yes. Um, they're going, they're going back and forth. Like dear Casey. And then they, they <laughs> like, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you like your teacher. We don't have a playtime like you, but we do go outside, but we don't hold hands. And then one of, uh, <laughs> whatever letters back to him and keep in mind this isn't text message so you're, you're sending this letter and it's taking like probably like three or four weeks to get back so these letters they show like six or seven this is probably over like a couple month timeline so and the one letter from casey to her dad is dear daddy are you ever coming home so jackie let me ask you as the mother of a daughter if we're not going to put your your husband in jail in this hypothetical situation <laughs> we'll say he he went away I'm, he's on a business trip Okay. And your daughter wants to write him letters. I would imagine you'd proofread these letters like Trisha Poe maybe did, maybe did not. So if your daughter wrote a one sentence letter to your husband, or dear daddy, are you coming home? Would you maybe say to your daughter, I don't know, do you want to write like, I don't know, two, two or Is that three all? more sentences? Is that all you got? <laughs> you wanna, you that wanna was a lot of effort for on one sentence right there. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, he should just wrote back, yes. <laughs> yep. I'm coming home. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, not like a big scene, but just something I thought about. Um, another scene I have noted here is Larkin talking about the criminals. I, I love this scene. Um, oh. So we, th- this is where we're introduced to Billy Bedlam, who uh, I recognize from as part of the crew on Training Day. Not an excellent crime, but like all time, like cr- he catches his wife cheating on him. He drives to her family's house, kills her parents, her brothers, her sisters, and her dog. Just Billy Bedlam, just just an all, all-time movie criminal. We got Nathan Jones. This is Ving Rhames' character. AK, I'm going to read uh, verbatim uh, Cusack's monologue here about Nathan Jones. Former general of the Black Gorillas, he blew up a meeting of the NRI saying, and I quote, they represented the basest negativity of the white race. He wrote a book in prison called Reflections in a Diamond Eye. New York Times called it a wake-up call for the black community. They're talking to Denzel for the movie. Just, just, <laughs> just does such a great job introducing these characters. What an intro. There's yeah. also a, such a disparity between number one and number two. <laughs> yeah, by the time we get to Cyrus, it's just like robbery, murder, extortion. He's done it he's, all. <laughs> he's said to kill more men than cancer. I could have... I could have listened to this for 15 more minutes. I kind of wish he did like one on Johnny 23 on like all the other characters pinball, but yeah, the uh, Cusack giving the scouting report on all these criminals was just so much fun. What'd you think of that scene, Glenn? I think it's a great, I'm not typically a fan of exposition dumps, uh-huh. but I think what they're doing here is going, okay, we're not really going to get into any of this later. You're going to see them doing terrible stuff. So let's just make you aware of who they are now, 
right? Because it also gives you the juxtaposition of Poe when he steps off the bus and the wind is sweeping through his hair and it's the perfect sunshine <laughs> on the face. And he's like, oh, he's just a he's just a parolee catching a ride home. And you're like, no, no. That tells you exactly that he's not just a parolee catching a ride home. He's going to be the biggest, fattest motherfucker on the whole plane by the time we're done. <laughs> And you're just and you're just like, oh god, bad, 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 eh, bad, bad. So I just think it's great. I think it's awesome. Right, Jackie, what you think of this scene? I like the part where they give the background. They say, as you know, today's flight is a special one. We're populating Alabama's federal penitentiary, the newest supermax facility in the system. This place was designed to warehouse the worst of the worst. Now, most of these guys are lifers, some on death row, pure predators, each and every one of them. <laughs> just just that cheesy intro. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so good. Right. Does, does it make you so like 90s. think you, it's not like you have to miss anything? It's just like, OK, here's who these people are. Here's what they did. You don't like turn your brain off. Everything's right here for you on a silver platter. Just yeah. just a great scene. And I, I just wish it, it was longer. Uh Glenn, what's the scene that you have? All right. I'm going to go for it because it is quite possibly one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. Billy Bedham is down in the belly of the plane. Okay. And he's, you know, looking through stuff and he finds Poe's box and he takes out the bunny and he takes out the letter and Poe comes down. And he says, put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> and you're just like, what What the hell? and then this bunny gets more screen time than half the living people on screen (laughs) first in this when they fight over it and over you know he's got to keep billy from going up and telling who he is and then when cyrus like holds a gun to its head later and he's like stop or the bunny gets it (laughs) and you're like what come on like i know we're in a i know you're crazy but (laughs) that's that fight scene in the belly of the plane you're just like okay even i know that we're getting to the point of like we're running out of room to use we're running out of ideas of how to use this plane effectively <laughs> so this was this was essentially a crawl space in a house yes and an, another thing i don't have a list of i don't have best fights in a crawl space <laughs> but i but if i was to make that list i would probably just have this at number one i don't know if there's a better <laughs> crawl right. space fight than cameron poe versus billy bedlam in <laughs> and then and then it's over and he and he kills him and he says why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? <laughs> Just <laughs> chef's kiss right there. Boom. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> so that's one Jack- of my favorites. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on that scene, Jackie? I just love how he says, put the bunny back in the box. It's such a memeable moment in today's culture. <laughs> and in sure. the 90s, I'm sure everyone just roared because it's such a great, I mean, it's such a great, it's such a great moment. Definitely. Uh, Jackie, you have another scene? I want to talk about Cyrus's jail cell. Sure. And how would a convict in a high security prison (laughs) with this background find wall patching materials, perfect matching paint to construct this little hidey hole full of plain schematics, bomb making literature, secret codes, a bomb and i mean who who smuggled in this stuff for him like wow talk about connections 
Yeah, yeah. The, their plan was it was it made me think of um, Manhunter, the mm. uh, the the dialogue between Lecter and um, the the Tooth Fairy, the kind of like how mm-hmm. we see Lark we see Larkin move the paper and it, it spells out Carson City on it, just like very very elaborate. So I thought this was uh, a very detailed scene, and I think the movie kind of lost me a little bit when they got into like the deep shit about why they're doing what they're doing i thought it was just to like escape but it's like that there's this plot they they've made a deal with this guy sandino's father and you know that's where the movie makes you think a little bit but also kind of like maybe lost me and this is the the deep stuff and then the 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 cell ultimately blows up and kills everybody conveniently except for lark and john cusack's character but yeah really good scene in the movie so another scene i have written down here is the garland speech and this was uh, Steve Buscemi kind of like talking about the facts of life with Poe and Baby Al. And, you know, he goes, uh, they're talking, he's talking about murderers and he goes, most murderers are crimes of necessity rather than desire. But the great ones, Dahmer, Gacy, Bundy, they did it because it excited them. And I think Poe tells him he's crazy. He tells him he's insane. And then Garland responds, what if I told you insane was working 50 hours a week at some office for 50 years at the end of which they tell you to piss off? ending at some retirement village, hoping to die before suffering the indignity of trying to make it to the toilet on time. Would you, wouldn't you consider that insane? I gotta tell you, I read this and I'm like, do I want to go to work tomorrow? Maybe I just wanna... Yeah. I'm like, shit, man. Maybe I just want a day drink. I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, you're delving into perhaps, I mean, we'll get more into this later, but he, he as a character is so terrifyingly perfect in this movie. Oh yeah. Not necessary, but perfect. <laughs> and I I think this scene is one of those where you just start to go, "Oh no, he might be the most sane insane person." In this movie. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Jackie, what did you think of that scene? Yeah, it made me tilt my head as well. (laughs) And I have to uh, back up a little and just talk about Steve Buscemi in general. Sure. And he was also, did I mention this, that he was friends with Scott Rosenberg as well? uh, Oh, we talked about John Cusack. Okay. Yeah. So he was also friends with Scott Rosenberg, the writer, and they wrote, he wrote this role specifically for Steve Buscemi. And you know, he has such an unusual look about him. Definitely. And it just always makes him such a neat character actor to watch. And I've read before that he doesn't typically feel like he looks unusual, but it works to his advantage. So he just rolls with it. Yeah, and definitely. And I think yeah. he, he fit really well into the shoes of this character that was undeniably crazy but also questioningly crazy yeah just like a really interesting career for him he could show up in these roles like reservoir dogs or this and be like Mm -hmm. somebody who's like very off-putting or insane he could show up in in your adam sandler movie and just make you laugh your ass off or yeah he could he could be a leading man like he was in boardwalk empire and just carry a show and, and you believe it just Whatever he does, you believe in it, and 
just really, really great career. Glenn, any thoughts on Buscemi in this one? I think I think what is what is great about Steve Buscemi overall is I've never seen him in a role, like you said, where I didn't buy it. But in this one in particular, it's such a gross part. It's such a disturbing part. And of course, there's mm-hmm. another scene where he's with a little girl outside right. the playing yard. Wow. And for a long, long time, I didn't like, I had it in my head that we're not supposed to know that she's real. We yeah. can't tell if he's imagining this or not until after the plane mm. takes off and you see her go running out and like waving goodbye to him. And then they find the doll and the crash after, right? Like, but I think the whole point of his character is you shouldn't ever not feel like me a little bit when he's around. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other ones are deliberate. Like Johnny, he's deliberately evil. Cyrus is crazy. Diamond Dog is the tough villain. You know, Swamp Thing is the crazy pilot. Steve Buscemi is off. He's, yeah. He's off. And and you and if you don't feel that, I, I think maybe you might want to just talk to someone. Check yourself. You, yeah. you even see the scene uh, <laughs> where Cyrus and Diamond Dog are like contemplating releasing him. And you can see like Diamond Dog, who's Bing Rames, who's like this big, scary dude, is like scared of this character. And you could tell because most of his his atrocities are like perceived. They're not like right. like like you just mentioned, Glenn. Like we know what all these other people did, but it's just like, okay, this guy's crazy, and don't fuck with him. And yeah, the, I admit the first time I saw this, the scene with the little girl was pretty nerve wracking because you're saying to yourself, "Is he gonna hurt this girl? Like oh what's gosh. what's what's going on here?" And you know, th- I. I don't know that violence on a child necessarily fits into this movie, no. despite no. despite despite us knowing what these characters have done off screen. Uh, seeing this wouldn't wouldn't have been a, a good addition. I have one more. Well, I have actually have two more scenes here, but either of you have any? We might just have all have the same things written down here. Uh, I love like the very first time Poe and Larkin meet in the plane okay. hangar, right? Like Poe gets caught. And then Larkin sneaks in and puts the guy at gunpoint. And then Poe just like kicks all of their butts, all four of them. It, right. They're not even there anymore. And then they're sitting there and they've got guns on each other. And Larkin's like, can I put this down? And Poe's like, sorry, boss. There's only two men I trust. One's me <laughs> and the other's not you. And th- constantly throughout this movie, they pepper in these very lone hero journey moments for Poe. That, of course, then by the end, you get the res- resolution. Him and Larkin, he's like, you're one of the men I trust now. You know, like he shakes his head. He's like, you're one of the men I trust. And you're just like, oh, I want to say oh to that because that's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so many like memorable lines in this movie. Another one that like comes to mind like right off the depth where Malkovich is telling everybody like the plan. And he goes, this is the boneyard. This is the hangar. This is our plane. Then one of the guys is like, what's that? <laughs> like, that's a rock. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's like one of the lines that stuck with me. Also, like, well, Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> he, just, he, just, he just says that randomly when they cross the airspace into Vegas. So yeah, I saw a lot of like funny just one-liners. But yeah, two men I trust, one of them's me, the other's not you. That's that's the t-shirt right there that you get out of this movie. Jackie, what'd you think of that scene with Malkovich and Cage? I believe this Malkovich. is the part. Cusack, Cusack. Yeah, yeah, I believe this is the part where um, Nick Cage says, tell my wife I love her. She's my hummingbird. <laughs> All right, so we have, to, 
we have to go into the accent now because of right. course the joke is or, or the, the long-standing thought on this is um you know he went to alabama right right he said i went to alabama and i i did some training on this accent and <laughs> there's an article really? that we can get into with the internet stuff that's like the 15 the 15 reasons this is the best movie about alabama ever made and one <laughs> is that the accent is like they know it's an alabama accent but they couldn't possibly tell you where in alabama yeah <laughs> the accent is because it's not anything it's it's everything yeah <laughs> pushed together so when he says those lines he's like tell her she's my hoverbird you're like if you didn't sound so stupid i'd probably go oh that's really nice <laughs> but it sounds so dumb. It's so yeah, so that was slow and <laughs> drawn out. So you can oh. tell like how seriously he takes his roles, even though even though like these are kind of just like quote unquote ridiculous movies. Like he did go to Alabama to practice his accent. You could tell he put on he worked out like insanely. You could tell he was jacked as hell in this movie. And between takes, it was rumored that he would just start lifting weights. Like you it seems that he wasn't in that. They did a thing about it back in 97. There's a whole, like, they snuck onto set to, like, film bits of what's going on. And there's a shot of him, like, like, lifting weights. <laughs> Dude is ripped. Just ripped. It so It shows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jackie's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Noticed. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, he rocks that tank top well. All right. Um. The last one, I, the last one I have here is the final showdown. Do we want to talk about it, or either of you have a? So good. We should just skip that one. Yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about the the MC. <laughs> it was not much to talk about there. <laughs> All right. So I just, you know, you get your. They. This is after they crash into Vegas. I don't want to know how many people died, how many casualties there were from a plane just landing on the Las Vegas Strip. But you know, we get that climactic scene. Poe could have just went and saw his family. But him and Larkin, they see Osiris and Diamond Dog and Swamp Thing getting away. So they hijack some motorcycles. And then we got a motorcycle chase. They're chasing a fire truck. You got Malkovich. He's shooting water at cops. They're falling off their bikes. Just people dying. There's explosions. Just great climax to the movie. Jackie, what would you think of the, the final showdown? Oh, this was such a good climax. For this movie. It just kept going. I was really surprised. I'm like, oh, okay, it's gonna wait. Whoa, there's more. He's climbing up onto the fire truck and he's dangling from the ladder. And then he then he's really using those muscles to climb up there and crawl across and, and fight Cyrus. And he stabs him in the leg, and then they finally jets. Cyrus off the fire truck shatters through windows and he lands on an electric wire, but that's not enough. He <laughs> falls down and his head is smushed by some impounding so, machine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is he finally dead now? <laughs> no, there's more. Don't worry. There's another five minutes of how he died. <laughs> so i had to look this up because i was like what is that thing that kills him and um according to wikipedia it's a rock pounder yeah which I construction oh. sites yeah. okay cool yeah, oh okay okay didn't know that was a thing until today so very yeah. convenient yeah very convenient that it was right there in and, and running landed. at night <laughs> yeah yeah i'm so, mad yeah. i'm not asking any questions we're we're good there yeah, you, I mean, I had mentioned at the beginning, like, 
how the opening montage is a great, like, here's everything you need to know about the character you're about to spend the movie with. The ending of this was like, they basically had one line where Cyrus is about to kill Poe and he says, just know that the last thing little Casey's ever going to smell is my stinking breath. And then the <laughs> airplane propeller flies through and separates them. And so, like, you know that no action movie is going to resolve with the villain having said that to the main character and getting away with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it then proceeds to have a closing montage of the just epic fire truck chase and killing of this villain. And you're going, it doesn't end. It does <laughs> not stop. Okay, well, oh, well, I guess it has to be over. His head got crushed. Right. <laughs> but no, it's not over because now he has to go see his family. <laughs> right. And that's like the, Return uh, of the King here. <laughs> right. And that's the last scene I have here. It's the it's a nice scene. You know, he finally meets his daughter. We get like the, the happy ending to this movie, which which I really enjoyed that, you know, we got it. We got a good ending. He meets his daughter. They all hug. And how do I live by Trisha Yearwood plays real quick. Let me do some bonus trivia with you. This was the Oscar nominee that I want Glenn or Jackie mentioned before. The song best. This was nominated for 97 in the Oscars. Best original song did not win. So let's let's think the year 1997. What do you think won? What song? I'll, I'll hum it for you. Do, 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 do. Do, do. Sorry for the listeners for having to for having to hear that. Oh God. I'm sorry, I'm not catching her, what you're saying. Her initials, me. let's say, her initials are CD. Oh, uh, my heart oh, will go on. Yeah, yeah. Canadian. Oh, oh yeah. Well, huh. I mean, yeah. How well, you gonna How you gonna beat that? And this was originally recorded by um, <laughs> Leon Rimes. Leon Rimes, who was 14. Yep. And they said, "Nope, you're too young. This movie's too mature. We can't use your version of it." Right. Uh, and. <laughs> That's yeah. why I was confused about that. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. I was just thinking, wait, wasn't that Leanne Rhymes? But but then the, the of course, what's funny is now the Trisha Yearwood version is like the popular version, right? I don't know and if I've no one remembers Connor. <laughs> that it was yeah, so. <laughs> I'm trying to think of. I'm gonna have to check it out after we are finished recording. I don't even know if I've heard the Leanne Rhymes version, or maybe I'll hear it. And be like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember that, but. Yeah, primarily because of this movie, the Trisha Yearwood version is the one that kind of resonates with me. All right, so great job on scenes. According to the internet, so yeah, we like to start these with the uh, the casting almost, and we we've been talking about this all week. There were like there were like fifty to one hundred for each <laughs> each part here. So I'll start with Cyrus. It said the closest that we got to a non Malkovich Cyrus was Gary Oldman. Hmm. We just lost. Yeah, I, I like Malkovich better. The other names written here, and you know, according to the internet, so we don't know if these are true. We had Michael Keaton, Kevin Bacon, John Travolta, amongst many others that will just be here all day if we cite any of those. Stand out for you? Upgrade, downgrade? Glad it didn't happen. Glad, wish it did happen. I I will say, I would have probably been fine with Gary Oldman because at the time, Air Force One was also another movie that I just loved. Yeah, and Gary Oldman, at at the time, I didn't know who Gary Oldman was, and so I think he could have fit into Cyrus, and I would have been great with that. However, John Malkovich in this movie disappears into that role 
Yes. I forget it is John Malkovich. When it's Nick Cage, I always know it's Nick Cage. When it's John Cusack, I always know it's John Cusack. I always forget it's John Malkovich because he's just so good. And I would have a hard time with anyone else in that role, I think. Sure. Jackie, any any from that list or any you found that stood out to you? You know, we have crossover. That's that's sure. what I um, found as well. And I'm happy with John Malkovich in this role. He Definitely. filled the shoes just fine. I don't feel like it was exactly a rocket science role. I also feel like he got a- caught acting pretty frequently. Yeah. But I know we've kind of discussed that a little because he was pretty pissed off about <laughs> the script being rewritten every day. Right. And he was not happy on set. So we get that vibe from him. That said, I could see Gary Oldman in that role as well. I agree with that. I remember Gary Oldman a lot from, I think it's True Romance. Oh, yeah. Where Mm. he plays this really creepy drug dealer guy. He knows how to play a good bad guy. (laughs) So I think I would buy Gary Oldman in this role. I'd be okay with that swap out. All right. Up for Larkin. This almost happens, but didn't, didn't disclose why. But Robert Downey Jr.? which I, I thought would have been, I thought that would have been good. I don't know if it would have necessarily been an upgrade, but I, from John Cusack, but I liked it. Also, other names I saw here, Matthew Broderick and Charlie Sheen. I don't know. Either it's of really you. interesting you say those names because they all kind of look similar, don't right. you? Right. Right. I, um, I think Cusack had this kind of dorkiness to him a little bit that mm-hmm. Downey or Broderick would have brought to the role. As well, I don't. Sheen was like this ultra cool guy in '97, so it would have been a much different part. But I, I like I like Cusack here. I, I don't fault the casting at all. Glad anything there stand out for you? Maybe it's just my endearment of this film. I would again. I I think maybe RDJ could do it. I really couldn't see Charlie Sheen in this. No, remotely. I agree. But uh, Ar- Robert Downey Jr. would go on a year later to do a movie, another movie I love called U.S. Marshals. Oh and yeah. He, the- uh, basically plays a similar character so that's why i could buy it i think where john cusack gets it for me is his hit jackie i think you hit it um or maybe it was but the nerdiness the the clean cut you just buy the cop there whereas i don't know downey in the in the 90s maybe but and this was also and we talked about this earlier we're going to cover natural born killers in a couple of weeks and this was like <laughs> kind of kind of the height of his his drug use was in, in the mid 90s yes. yes. so yeah maybe would have worked maybe would not have worked definitely worked in natural born killers not sure about this jackie did you have anything there stood out or any additions i just want to comment on john cusack a little bit more i'm on the same page with you guys i don't think i could necessarily replace him and as far as robert downey jr i'm definitely biased with him because he is iron man (laughs) to me now and i was just trying to picture him in that role as uh, larkin just now but all i could think of was iron man Man. (laughs) tony he's tony stark because he plays that role so perfectly so yeah. yeah that's one there's there's no other person that could play that one but we'll keep you John Cusack. <laughs> I don't even know if any of these are true, but the Poe almost that I read, just none of them felt right. 
Tom Cruise was listed there, Brad Pitt. I'm like, no, that that this is not real internet. Hmm. I, but the the I one think it might be though. Okay. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I think... No, 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 go ahead. I I here's why. I was skeptical. The the reason why is this mid nineties. I would not be surprised if Jerry Bruckheimer saw every big name just for the sake of seeing every big name. And then Nick Cage walked in. I mean, of course, Nick Cage was not a small name at this point, but he walked in the door and just did Nick Cage. And Jerry Bruckheimer went, oh, yeah, no, that's it. Like, (laughs) like Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, you name it. They were they were also at a high point in the 90s. Like, yeah, totally believable that any one of them could have done it. I just think Nick Cage is such a unique character as a person, not the character in this movie. He is a unique character that he he fits in a way a lot of those other guys wouldn't have fit. So, so. Jackie, same question asked for the last two. Any, uh, you any... know, Glenn hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, this is this is a Nick Cage film. I can't see it without without Nick Cage. All right. So the, yeah, that's it for casting. Almost uh, Jackie, do you have any Internet? Non-castings. You know, we've mentioned a lot of my internet facts, so I think we've touched on pretty frequently that the script was rewritten almost daily. Yes, apparently, and that is nerve-wracking. I'm actually surprised they pulled it off this smoothly. I consider this a pretty smooth yeah. movie from right. A to B, uh, but one really good rewrite that they did was at the end they were supposed to crash into the white house right and instead they chose to crash into vegas i think that was a really good natural choice i don't know why they would just suddenly decide to crash into the white house vegas seemed to fit that random we're gonna crash here scene and gosh i have more to add about that crash sure you guys can can... No, I would love to. No, go ahead. You want to? Okay. Well, yeah, okay. I gotta gotta talk about my practical effects here. Oh yes. With go for crash, because I think that was my favorite part of the movie. Because I was looking at that, I'm like, that's not CG. That's real. They really crashed that plane into right. something. Did they build a set? How did they pull that off? And they had a old hotel that was up for demolition. And they found out about it and they're like, can we crash a plane into that? Is that okay? (laughs) And they did. They actually crashed it into that building right before it was destroyed permanently. And what an opportunity. I'm so glad they chose that, especially over the White House. So cool. So practical. Uh, For anyone wondering, it was the Sands. It was the the Sands Hotel, which was wildly famous as a performance venue until it closed i mean Mm -hmm. all the greats performed there so it is actually like you said practical effects but also a cool piece of just like vegas little little piece of history there yeah Yeah. absolutely right perfect timing yeah that this was happening right when they were filming yeah we're gonna destroy this building anyway why don't you just put, put it into your movie yeah excellent and yeah i don't i think if we all of a sudden had this crime heist movie and all of a sudden we're in D.C. and it's getting a little political. Maybe you know, that wouldn't have worked, worked as well. So, yeah, I'm glad that it ultimately didn't do the, the White House crash. Especially, I mean, when you think about the director, I mean, we know, we didn't even touch on Simon West, really. 
Yeah. Um, talk right. about a weird choice. This was his first big blockbuster. And what's the thing he's most known for prior to this movie? Yeah, it's one of the most famous things on the internet, the uh, Rick Astley. You up, <laughs> and you're go. going, wait, what? That guy? <laughs> yeah. And he made this? Okay. Where All right. did that directing choice come from? Yeah. yeah like, I really like that Rick Astley video. I look, here's $75 million, direct, direct our film. <laughs> sure. But yeah, worked really well. Yeah, Simon West, who would go on a. Uh, he went on to direct uh, Lara Croft, the Tomb Raider movie, and he directed, amongst other things, uh, The Expendables <laughs> too. So he's, he's such a All weird, right. such a weird career. Definitely. <laughs> Big time. The last internet thing I have here is just kind of like a small anecdote. The the Kid Rock American Badass video is yeah. allegedly inspired by Cameron Poe. And... That was one of my trivia questions. Ah, I, I suck. Sorry. Oh, that's no. Okay. That's just. The... I have backup. Oh, All right, wow. cool. I went back. I went back. Not to, not to go on a, like a whole tangent here, but I remember like loving this video when I was, I was like 18 or 19 years old. And then I went back and watched it the other day. And there's like Confederate flags everywhere in it. And I was like, oh, man, what was. Well, where were we as a society in 1999 <laughs> or 2000, whenever this came out? I was like, yeah, this this didn't age very well at all. But yeah, uh, allegedly uh, inspired by Cameron Poe. I so. was reading through the lyrics of that song, and I was trying to find that connection and that inspiration. <laughs> I'm not yeah. seeing it, but okay, Kid Rock. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do, do you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, trivia, Jackie. It sounds like I stole one of yours, but you said you have a backup. Do you, do you want to lead, or you want me to? Sure, sure. So since we were just talking about the Sands Hotel um, and how it was really destroyed in the movie, what popular Vegas movie was filmed there in the past? Okay, is this multiple choice or filming? Um, gosh, I thought it was obvious, so. Oh, shit. Okay. Wait, can you just repeat the question again so I make sure that I'm... Yeah. The Sands Hotel was the real hotel destroyed in the plane crash. What popular Vegas movie was filmed there in the past? Um, Want a hint? Yes. <laughs> Even just like uh, a, time, a time period. 1960s. Ooh. That was a hint. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll take the hint. That, was that, that was the hint. That was the hint. 1960s. Okay. okay. I feel like you'll say it and I'll be like, oh, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. But Because wasn't it, I feel like, why am I thinking Frank Sinatra right now? Oh, is it Ocean's Eleven? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Glenn, I was we, right, we, like, we right here you, in my head. I was like. Glenn, you shoved me into the answer. So <laughs> it, it was, it hey, was teamwork. <laughs> I'm the sixth man tonight, everyone. We can just go home. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so mine is I kind of did a similar version of this question, Jackie, when we when we covered pain and gain, and it was a Mark Wahlberg themed question. So we have Nicolas Cage and John Malkovich who have had many iconic roles. I'm going to give you some funny names. All of these were characters played by Cage or Malkovich, except one of the names I'm giving you. So some of these might be obvious, and some maybe a little tricky if you haven't seen some of these films in a while all right so here's here we go okay okay so these were either played by john malkovich or nicholas cage except for one first name 
Osborne Cox. Second name, Teddy Deserve. Third, Teddy KGB. Fourth, Barney Ross. Fifth, Memphis Reigns. And sixth, Caster Troy. Glenn Glenn laughed at the last one because that's probably the, the lowest of hanging fruits. <laughs> that's the lowest hanging fruit ever. <laughs> All right. Glenn, you go you take first crack. Well, it's not Caster Troy, because that is the name in a different Nick Cage movie, which is not this one. Yes, uh from that same year. Uh, I'll, I'll help you out a little bit, Jackie, because I'm about to get it wrong. So let's see if I can knock one or two off the list for you. jeez, uh, oh, I'm going to go with Teddy Deserve. That one sounds made up more than okay. not. All right. So I Teddy did think Deserve. it was funny you mentioned two Teddy names, but I feel like that might be a trick question. I don't know. Um, Oh, I I really like that Memphis name, but it sounds like a good character name. Okay. Um, I'll just say Barney Ross for fun. I have no idea. Congratulations, Jackie. That was Sylvester Stallone and the Expendables. No way. Barney Ross. Yes, very good. Uh, Glenn, (laughs) Teddy Deserve was John Malkovich's character in Knock Around, guys. Oh, okay. Well, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I you just watch enough listen. movies. Eventually, they're gonna blur a little bit, right? <laughs> sure, that'll be my I, excuse. <laughs> just, just for the listeners wondering, like, who the hell are these? If you're not up to speed on any of these, Osborne Cox was Malkovich in Burn After Reading, right. and a very underrated Coen Brothers film. Teddy KGB is Malkovich in Rounders. Memphis Reigns was Cage in Gone in sixty seconds. That's what it was. I couldn't remember if it was Gone in sixty seconds or yeah, yeah, and obviously. Caster Troy is cage and face off. So that was ah, same Caster year. Troy. Sorry, I can't. Every time <laughs> I hear that name, I always think of that stupid. We'll, we'll have you on for our future face off. Face off. Which side it ends up on is a question, but we'll be here. <laughs> All right. Hey, I've got one more question. Yeah. Can go I throw for it. it at you guys. Sure. Okay. It's relevant to okay. us. Mark Mancini, a composer for the film, had to leave the production early due to schedule conflicts for what other film he was composing oh, for. Hint, we've covered it on the show before. Yes, you have. Did the three of us cover it? Uh-huh. All right, it was Speed 2, right? It was Speed 2. Yes. Okay. Yes, and that, that's funny that when I read that, because I, 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 you know, it was like, oh, I really have been to both sides of the spectrum here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So great, great trivia guys. Excellent questions. All right. Now for award season, sixth man of the movie. There were a lot of candidates. So just for listeners, if you're not up to speed on what that means, sixth man could also be sixth woman, but probably not here because there's not many women in this movie. Six man in a basketball game is someone who not the star of the team, but someone who comes off the bench and has a really big impact on the game. So the rule of thumb for this for this category is if you're on the poster, you're not eligible for the six man award. So this movie had a lot of supporting characters. You could have went uh, Ving Rames. You could have went Danny Trejo. I think I, I told both of you earlier in chat, I was kind of waffling between Dave Chappelle and Steve Buscemi. I ultimately went for this award. I went Dave Chappelle as pinball for my sixth man. And I just thought 
Jackie, we covered Coneheads not too long ago. And we talked about Adam Sandler in that movie, how he had like such a small part, but you're looking at this person and saying, okay, there's, there's something there. This is, this is going to be something we're going to be seeing for a while. And you kind of got that same thing with Dave Chappelle in this movie. He was just kind of, he had this charisma about him. He was really funny. And the fact that he improvised most of his lines and it was, he was really good. And ultimately we did see a lot of him and we, we still do. So I went Dave Chappelle for my sixth man on this award. Glenn, where'd you land? Yeah, this was a, this was actually a tough one for me. Um, because if we technically go by the poster rules, Ving Rames is on the poster, but is, that, okay. Well, I fucked up. <laughs> no, but I, I think you could argue that he would definitely fall more into this category than the MVP category. Now, that being said, if, if the MVP was not like, who kind of led the whole thing, I would give it to Steve Buscemi in a heartbeat. I think he just blew me out of the water. But since he can't be the MVP, he's going to be my sixth man because he was just, I cringe and I love it. I think he's so, <laughs> I, he's perfect. So. All right, excellent. All right, so we got two separate. Jackie, yes. are, you, are you going in your own direction or are you siding with one of us? I'm circling back to Dave Chappelle. Okay. I'm I'm there with you, Dave. And he really stood out to me too. He brings a little scoop of that comedic aspect that kind of makes the movie a little more fun. And he's the perfect sixth man for me. You know, word on the street we were saying is that he improvised a lot of these lines. And so some of those genuine zingers, he just pulled out of nowhere. And I was bummed that they killed him off and he wasn't in the movie longer. Yeah. I um, think they didn't know what they had. <laughs> I think you're right. I was I was just going to say we hadn't really seen Dave Chappelle too much. Not too much. Before this. I was really glad to see him in this. And It's about a year before Half-Baked. So it, it would go and then, you know, the rest is history with him. But yeah, definitely. I think he died in minute 43, I read of the movie. So he dies kind of early on. Yeah. And yeah, but it was... The, the scenes he had, and he definitely owned every one of them. So glad glad he was in this. And that'll make for a good Instagram poll, because we have two. So cool. MVP of the movie. I didn't have to think about this hard. This is, uh, this is a Nick Cage movie. This is his movie. Possibly, if you ask me what's the best Nick Cage movie, I might, I'll might i either say Face Off or Con Air, depending on the day. But yeah, this, this was his movie. I didn't feel the need to get fancy on this one. Either of you... Did either of you get edgy? Uh, for a minute, I really do love John Malkovich in this, but sure. I think, Jackie, you brought up a point I hadn't really considered, which is he does actually get caught acting quite a bit. And I don't blame him at all with everything that we've talked about. I think John Cusack could easily take it, too, just for the way he plays his part. But if you, if you take away... I mean, obviously, if you take away Nick Cage, there isn't the movie. But I, like we talked about, if you replace Nick Cage, the movie is totally different. So I think in that respect, he would take MVP for me, too. Sure. Okay. So we're two. Jackie? Wow. Those are excellent points. And I put in my notes, Cusack, Nick Cage. <laughs> okay. I was, I was really committing to Cusack before this, but you guys are really throwing some convincing arguments for Nick Cage here. Huh. Um, the only thing is the accent really killed it for me. <laughs> <laughs> that is completely valid, and I would change my answer on that alone if I hadn't already committed. <laughs> <laughs> so, based on that, thank you. Um, Cusack was really hustling. He pulled it off. 
totally took his character seriously. Um, Especially so. for an otherwise kind of boring role. Like, yeah, because, you know, Malkovich gets to be bad. Poe gets to be the badass. Cusack is constantly the exposition, the law bump on the log. And you're just going, oh, poor guy. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you're there, though. Good for you. You kept up. <laughs> he did. He brought right, some personality so to it. For the second week in a row, I'll be over the second episode of this in a row. I'll be able to do the polls pretty easily because yeah. we got we got two. So. All right, good job, everybody. Glenn, what's something good you watched this week? Oh, man, it's been great. I finally rolled over into my 2022 list here. So um, I watched the first season of a Hulu show called Reservation Dogs, which came out yes. uh, okay. last year, which was Ooh. phenomenal. I'm, I mean, Hulu has got some great original content, but this is about four kids on a Native American reservation, and they... <laughs> are stealing stuff so they can get money to go to California. And this, at first I was kind of like, eh, it's fine. But as the season went on, it's like, it's got such a great emotional arc to it. And it was very well done. And then I got to catch an old movie, which some people will know and love the Frisco kid with Harrison Ford and Gene Wilder, which if you haven't seen it is this, uh, hilarious movie about Gene Wilder plays a Jewish man who becomes a rabbi and moves to America and has to travel across America to get to his synagogue and gets robbed and beaten and then meets up with Harrison Ford, who's this slick, dead, dead eye, you know, one shot guy, a cowboy who escorts him across America. And it's humorous. So definitely worth uh, going back and checking out. It was it was, I think, uh, early 80s late 70s early 80s right after harrison ford had just done han solo so okay um oh, that sounds of, fun right at the peak of like he's just getting known you know um so a lot of fun definitely a shout out reservation dogs that was just i made a top 10 list of tv shows for 2021 so and it was good. just outside of it but yeah excellent it was eight episodes and they were all like 20 25 minutes long each so yeah. it's not like and there's gonna be a second season so yep you already know. picked up and uh, the Bill Burr episode kind of like stands out for me. Just <laughs> have him show up for an episode, whether it's the Mandalorian or Reservation Dogs, and you know he'll he'll lift he'll lift things up for you. Just really great show. And the three leads, who, the actors' names unfortunately are escaping me, but uh, yeah, really great show. And I'm glad I I kind of just stumbled on, upon it one night too. So yeah, good good catch there, Glenn. Jackie, what's something good you watch this week? I watched The Protege with. Maggie Q and Sam Jackson. Oh, I it, saw this. Yeah, it's it's streaming right now, and it was a one dollar rental. And man, <laughs> dollar theater. <laughs> it was exactly what I expected for a dollar, and it was perfect for what it was. Maggie Q is always so much fun to watch. She's gorgeous and so effortlessly refined and confident in everything she does. She plays this hit woman who is a protege of hitman Samuel L. Jackson. And I can't really describe it too much without spoiling it, but it's a fun little action flick. And while I wouldn't put it at the very top of your watch list, keep it in mind for when you might be bored. Now, this was a quote unquote fun movie. Yes. I, yeah, I saw it, it over the summer. Movie. Yeah, and Michael Keaton plays the antagonist, and he's just mm -hmm. like, they have this like 
tete-a-tete thing between him and Maggie Q. That's just really good. The chemistry in that was just really fun. I might have to revisit this sometime because it was just like, you know, kind of like Con Air. Just turn your brain off for a little bit. And <laughs> Exactly. Michael yeah. Keaton, man. Having a having a phoenix from the ashes moment just, the last several years. Yeah. Absolutely just, astounding. Right. Between this and I believe he won a Golden Globe for his work on uh, Dope Sick, which I, I don't know if either of you were on that one, but a really good show. So yeah, anything with Keaton is better because of it. I have one more thing. Sure. That was a fun watch. I watched Sing 2. Yes, I've heard a lot. Fam. <laughs> it was very, very sweet. And, you know, I've probably seen the first thing at least 20 times, thanks to both of my kids. So I was very familiar <laughs> with these characters. But the thing about these stories is I don't get tired of watching them. They're really good films. I wasn't sure what kind of sequel they would come up with, but wow, this was actually a fun follow-up to the first movie. And, um, you know, it takes place in this animal world where what it would be like um, sustaining a theater and being a live performer. I love the soundtrack. It's lots of fun. I recommend it for Mm. sure. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen the cast and the cast is just like monster killer cast. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the yes. poster and I was in the theater the other day and yeah, this looks like something I'm definitely going to check out. I've, you know, embarrassingly never seen sing one. So I guess I would have to start there. And are these on, are these on Disney Jackie? Um, I don't know. We had to pay for it. I don't think it's Disney. Okay. All right, cool. I will unsarcastically say I'll, I'll put that on the list so that's something I, I definitely want to watch all right so to go from sing to a really happy upbeat movie I'll kind of take the car in the other direction I watched a movie and I'm going to say Jackie a million percent you never have never will see this okay Glenn <laughs> I'll say 50 50 out of our pod friends the one I said most likely to have seen this was Gail and ironically her and I had a conversation about it the other day, but I saw the house that Jack built. I have, I, I haven't, I have it on the list. I have not seen, but you, you know mm-hmm. of it. Yes. yes. Okay. So this was Jackie. Let me paint a little picture for you. Yeah. This is a, a Lars von Trier film. He did. Uh, he's known for doing kind of like artsy, but provocative and somewhat disturbing films. He did That's another film. nice today. If that was a really nice way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to go, if you're going to go into Von Trier filmography and you want to go in kind of like the shallow end of the pool, I'd recommend Melancholia, yes. which is a kind of like end of the world movie with Kirsten Dunst, Kiefer Sutherland. You get a double SARS guard there and uh, Stalin and Alexander, which is really good. So, melancholia is one that won't leave you disturbed the house that jack built is (laughs) probably the opposite this was actually banned from some film festivals in early 2020 and then the rest of 2020 happened and this was kind of like a forgotten about controversy so this stars matt dillon uma thurman and riley keogh and basically matt dillon plays a serial killer who's going through the circles of hell and while he's going through the circles of hell through with his guide, he's narrating some of the crimes he's committed. So we see some of the murders he's done while him and this kind of like apprentice of the devil are narrating the murders he's committed. And it was something I was 
I was hesitant to watch because I, I don't like all out movies that are like out to disturb you. I can handle like saw films or hostels. Those are fine. I, I, I can get through those, but this was kind of like things that stick with you. But before seeing this, I had done like Bill Belichick, like preparation on it. I had read the plot on Wikipedia. I had read every review there was like, those YouTube videos. I watched like the first two pages of them. So by the time I actually sat down and watched this movie, I knew everything. I knew what I was in store for. And I, just, I thought this movie was like really well done, even though there's kind of a few images that are going to stick with me for a little while. Um, but, you know, I, I don't feel like traumatized by watching it. Mm. Okay. Uh, Glenn, any, any thoughts or any timetable for you going into it? I I I have a partner who will never watch it. Um, okay, fair. And she's fully been on, and I'm okay with that. But it's like okay. I plan to watch it. I just also know it's like watching Neil Breen. I have to really just get my head in the right space because sure, I know what I'm going into. And you know, Untrue's is it's a choice. <laughs> that's yeah, what, yeah. That's what I would say every time I put on a movie of his. It it is a choice to watch that movie. <laughs> it's um, tough, you know. So. Yeah, so I watched that. I was glad uh, glad it's off the list now and I could move on with my life. And another, I started a TV show and I don't know, maybe neither of you have heard of this, but I kind of like stumbled upon it. So the show is called Be Foreigners. And oh, no, no. I okay. I haven't heard of that. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to, you're going to quickly find out why you haven't heard of it because it's a Norwegian detective drama. Okay, oh. Dave. Okay, Dave. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right, I stumbled I upon I this. Find that one. <laughs> so I, I th- this is crazy. I'm going to talk about this, and maybe you'll want to watch it. Maybe you won't, but uh, you'll you'll be intrigued by my synopsis. Um, so th- I found this on HBO Max. Norwegian detective drama didn't naturally have subtitles, so I had to manually turn the subtitles on so I could understand what was happening. And in this show, we get travelers from different time eras just show up in the water. So you see like a flash of light come in the water and people from the caveman era and people from the 1800s just randomly show up in the present day and no explanation why. And that's the first scene. So, and then we fast forward seven years later, these people are kind of integrated into society. So I think there's, I'm only one episode in, I don't know if there's a deeper message about immigration in here. Not sure. I'm just, I'm just kind of like going with the flow. So in the first episode, there's a murder. One of the, the a cave woman is murdered and we have to figure out who, who did this. We get a new cop who is a former cave woman who is reluctantly welcomed on to the force. And she's partnered with a man in the present day. And the man is addicted to a drug. I'm not a drug person, but he's a drug addict. He's addicted to a drug called temp. I, I don't know. I don't know if that rings a bell for either of you, but it's a drug that you drop into your eyeballs. <laughs> so this guy is just randomly dropped. This drug addict cop is just dropping eye drops into his eyes that are drugs. And um, he, they call them a, they call them a temp addict in one scene. Don't not familiar with it. I did look it up. It's, it's a, it's a real thing. The female cop who's a former cave woman in this first episode she encounters another caveman who came to the present day and raped her a thousand years ago. 
and she discovers this guy like beats the shit out of him bites a chunk of his face off he gets away and he's still out there so this is the first episode of this show and it's really short six episodes uh, each season season one aired uh, last year and season two just finished up at the end of December. So it's 12 episodes. They're all out there. They're about 50 minutes each. I watched the first one. I was uh, kind of intrigued and I'm going to keep going. Well, succession is over, Dave. So you got to have something to fill your (laughs) afternoon. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I do need to fill that void a little. So yeah, that's, uh, I guess I, I, unintentionally got a little edgy with the, with the selections this week definitely got some points for originality so glenn when if and when you ever watch uh, the house of jack bill you'll have to uh, circle back to me because I, I, I will do so because <laughs> i'm right. sure that you'll be one of the few people i know who has watched it so all right cool i will uh, not I'm... be circling back with you on that dave <laughs> wouldn't even ask jackie and that's a compliment <laughs> you know me <laughs> All right, Glenn, where can people follow you at? Yeah, Twitter and Instagram at GlennThompson11. If you want to know more about my work or how to get in contact with me, you can go to glenn-thompson.com. Excellent. And Jackie? You can find me on Instagram at JackieLynn99.5. Excellent as well. And you can follow me at ddem 2000 on both Instagram and Twitter. We also have an Instagram for this podcast. It's at dollar theater pod. We're going to put, we post polls. We'll post our polls for our six man and our MVP award. And we do other stuff on there too. We uh, post show updates on there constantly. So give us a follow on there. Um, You can also follow the Instagram and Twitter for our other show. Was it that bad pod? If you want to talk about this movie or any movie, or show with myself, Glenn, Jackie, a bunch of other people. You can join the movie and television talk Facebook group. Just type that into a group search. We are the red cover photo. Jackie, we have a twofer next week. What's going on? That's right. We got a double header next week. Some good, bad high school movies. We are covering Bring It On and Can't Hardly Wait. I, I, I feel like those two titles just spoke to each other. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what? I was going to say I can't hardly wait for that. And I just kind of ironically did, but I'm not going to say that. So (laughs) bring uh, it. (laughs) (laughs) Point, Jackie. (laughs) Glenn, any initial thoughts on either of those? Uh, Have have fun. Uh, (laughs) I. those were not exactly my personal jam but then again i watched con air a bunch of times so i don't know if i can fair fair <laughs> i always love our guest reactions about what's what's on deck uh don't hit me up for that one <laughs> it'll be great all right cool well glenn thanks for coming on tonight talking to us talking with us about this one it was a lot of fun glad to be back can't wait to talk again soon got it uh jackie pleasure as always thanks dave thanks glenn it. and thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next week night everybody